And welcome. Hello, this is oddreflections.com. I'm your host, Brian. With me is my good old friend, Megan. I'm not sure if I, she wants to use her last name because we did discuss that before the show. Probably should have. But this is Megan. Hi, Megan. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm good. We find ourselves in a crazy time, and I think it's important to be respectful to one another, be stand up against bad things, which we can define civilly and... I don't know. I had some prepared statements, but I can't find the file. But in that spirit, we can continue and talk about old friendship and so on and so forth. So when did we meet? What year would that have been? Well, it had to be first grade, but I clearly remember you as, you know, Brian uh-huh. in second grade. Who, uh, did, who did you have for first grade? Much. I don't remember much about the old building in first grade at Oakview. I remember the first grade because I moved there from Texas and it was such a stark difference. I thought I was going to prison. (laughs) (laughs) Like, well, before we left for Texas, my sister had started first grade at Hager and it was the same sort of building, um, the same 1930s Depression WA project building. And when we dropped her off the first day of school, I said, Mom, why are we taking Jenny to jail? And (laughs) I got the same in Texas. The school was new and uh, there was a lot better funding. Um, uh, it was a lot different. Coming back to Ashland in that old building was kind of depressing. <laughs> but I don't remember much about first grade. Who'd you have for first grade? I'm not. You said you had. Beep. Uh, was that second grade? Did I have her for first grade? I'm not she sure. She was first grade. Our I think s- I had her too, but. I think our I- second grade teacher was Miss Cleep. I'm so bad with names period especially so yeah my remote memory is poor i remember all kinds of crazy stuff i remember third grade miss i remember interactions with kids in that class in second grade i remember one kid you remember the kid who would pee all over the bathroom and the teachers oh my goodness the teacher said that she was going to bring in the police and bring in digital temperature strips that would find who was the culprit, which doesn't make sense scientifically at all, but I think she was just that trying is, to trick us. That that is, that is just threatening compliance. That's all that is. We did, we did have our own bathroom. I remember that. Well, and it's funny that you remember, because I, I have poor remote memory with, like, names, but I can, rem- I can connect, like, time periods to the specific memories. But that old Oakview building it was prison like when you went down to the cafeteria remember it was like half underground and the windows were up high because I remember going down steps and that cafeteria felt like a prison I remember that very clearly was just the room was the computer lab in the basement for first grade I'm not sure because there were like IBM PS machines because like my mom was there helping out with the computers for some reason I don't know why it was like mom's come in and help day or whatever but she our teacher i won't repeat her name again maybe i should scrub it out at the beginning (laughs) but she turns to me and says how old do you think i am because we were talking about age for some reason and i looked at her and i said 40 and she was younger than my mom and my mom was had me born in 54 1980 so she would have been Mm. early 30s so she was below 30 i called her 40 and you know what she said 
She said, when you get use on your report card, you'll know why. Yeah. And that nice use being the equivalent of an F in first grade at that school. Yeah. Ashland School District was, um, did its very best to push us down. When my parents, my parents say this explicitly, they said when they went to school, their education experience was stellar in comparison to what they saw me and my sister get. And it drove them crazy. And so, you know, we got a lot of emphasis at home um, to, to study. That was a privilege, uh, absolutely, that I got. Um, absolutely, uh, absolutely a privilege my kids have that I did not actually have. Yeah. But you made it some way through force of will or you did something right. But it's hard, you know, because some kids don't have a chance and they've got everything stacked against them. And, you know, it's a problem. It's interesting that, uh, you know, just talking about the Ashland School District and my my dad moved into the Ashland School District in, I want to say, high school because my grandma has told a story from Tennessee, from Kingsport, Tennessee, of um, like needing to fax over the record. So I just I have it in my head that he was high school. It was Blazer. And she's always said the Ashland district just seemed backwards compared to Kingsport. Um, but in June, where was Kingsport? Tennessee. Tennessee. Hmm. Eastern Tennessee. Um, but in, so I was in Alps. I'm, I got into Alps in fourth grade, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you were in Alps too, right? right? I wasn't allowed in until fifth grade and I moved yeah. to Hager. Yeah. Oakview, yeah. the principal wouldn't let me go. That was it. Because you, you I took the test in fourth was, grade. Yeah. I do remember that because you were no longer at school. We weren't at school together, but we saw each other once a week. Yep. 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 Um, but in Alps was the advanced learning program for smart kids like Megan. And Brian. <laughs> Eventually. Well, I'm not sure how I got in because my math scores were always not even close to everything else. I am not good at math. It is not my strong suit. Um, in college, I took algebra and I had a really good teacher and things started to click. And it made me a little more well-rounded. I mean, I would, I, if I had the time, I'd like to pursue sharpening math skills today because I am not good with math on the fly. It's kind of embarrassing. Uh, it's actually embarrassing. You know what? We actually do have calculators in our pockets all the time. So to all those teachers. That's true. That's true. It, but to be able to do it in your head, I think it like helps with other processes as well. I don't know. I'm not... I don't haven't read that much of social science. It really clicked for me just in adulthood when I started practically applying it, when I started actually needing to paint a room. Oh, now I actually understand the concept because I'm looking at it and it's practical. Um, you know, thinking about uh, medications and how they're calculated. Like I can understand um, fractions in a way that they just used to get confusing. They were just confusing. Baking, I bake all the time. I can do that stuff fast now. Mm-hmm. I could not get it back in school. Not a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In seventh grade, um, I was doing so poorly in math that the counselor there, she was so nasty. And I can't, I can't remember her name, but she was kind of a thin blonde, short blonde hair. And she was so nasty to me. And she just said, you know, I don't know how you ever got into the advanced classes. You don't belong in here. And I, she dropped me out. So it wasn't like, oh, let's help you 
succeed in math. Let's see if we can like modify your schedule. So this one subject that you're struggling with, just this one, instead let's, you know, berate you for this one subject and drop you out of all advanced classes. That's heartbreaking. Then I just kind of, um, I actually sold homework in eighth grade. <laughs> that's awesome. That's brilliant. Yeah. Well, I was taking all the exact same classes in eighth grade. I just took in seventh grade. So whatever. All right. All right. That's awesome. That's good. Well, that your, your enterprising, she didn't crush your enterprising spirit, which is good. Yeah. Um, that was fine. When, it, when, it, when it's used in a, a, applied appropriately. And it, I think you were doing fine. That was the only um, year I did that. Yeah. I had, I had kid, one person <laughs> that was my regular. <laughs> I won't tell you who, because you, you maybe off record. Okay. Okay. You can you can PM me later. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. I I kind of dropped out of the AP program, and and I guess it was sophomore year, because the English teacher had had a row with my sister. And my mom refused to let me take English from that teacher. Mm. So, like, I wasn't really an AP anymore. And that was fine with me. Like, for like I did. Yeah. It's all or nothing, um, right? Right. right. Yep. Yeah. After that, I, well, it was weird. Like, history was a mixed bag. It was everybody. It's, it's strange. I don't know. Uh, some classes were mixed AP and not. And some others weren't. Like English and history, it seems, weren't maybe? Mm. I can't remember. We didn't have to take foreign language. Foreign language was a requirement because I only had to take French freshman year. And I didn't have to take French after that. No, oh, that's because your advanced junior high French counted towards your high school um, language credit. My great experience in junior high French. That was a circus. Um, that might be a story for another show. I don't know. I probably shouldn't tell that story. That might get me sued. I don't know. Oh, interesting. <laughs> you don't remember eighth grade French? I remember that we watched Beauty and the Beast in French. I remember that that room was cold as hell. That's all I really remember. Oh, oh. He was, a, oh. He was an odd teacher. I remember the teacher. Yeah. I recorded class every day, and we would get we would get together on the weekends and cut together like radio shows asking him questions and playing his responses and i would what well, the first like first day of class like i ask a stupid question because i'm off in my own little world and i ask a question that wasn't i was just trying to orient myself but it was it was annoyed the hell out of him and he yelled at me and i laughed i laughed that was my reaction i was just like if you're just going to explode at me for doing that, I, I think that's hilarious. And so after that, it was kind of a competition between three, four, five. There were three core members and a couple others that kind of just wanted to get him angry all the time. Well, I think and that's how come it was like, I lived. don't remember French well is because you guys were running the show. So I was able to nap. <laughs> I was off in the that explains a lot. It. That explains a lot. That explains a lot. There were like two shifts of it too, because two shifts of us, because like the the AP was split into two groups, and like we'd come in first period and like you know wreck the day, and then the second period had their own set of antics. Like one thing we do, we go up to the pencil sharpener, 
and sharpen it until like we're down to a nub. So we'd just be standing there, like for the entire length of the pencil. And he and he wouldn't notice for the longest time. Yeah, just little things like that. We were so misbehaved. But uh, after high high school, after that in high school, the only useful class I got that I use every day is typing, which was on, which was, which was on typewriters. I remember laser yep. pad typewriters. Yeah, you you had to buy the whiteout stuff from the school like s- store down in the building one too. Yeah, yeah, that was so strange. But uh, it's a skill that I use like, today. I get on the home keys, and I can type pretty good. Yeah, I got to typing because I ended up doing all of my college online, and six year four or five six no yeah six years. I think about it. Um, when did you start that? Broke it up a little. That's why I had to like, it really was a true six years though of total school. Yeah. Uh, went yeah. for an associate's, mm-hmm. um, in 2008, January of 2008 is when I started because I had a toddler and a baby. I, I my baby just turned 13 today and oh my gosh, I just can't believe it. That's amazing. I, I started in 98 and I, by 2002, I didn't have enough credits to graduate and getting around campus was hard for me. UK is huge. Yeah. Walking from the dorms in my condition, uh, I could go into that another time, but just walking around is a challenge. I don't do it efficiently. Um, I imitate it very poorly. And I get my muscles get tired very fast. The ones that compensate for the ones that don't work well. And uh, the dorm was a trek. When I moved out of my apartment, I got a handicap sticker. Well, I had a handicap sticker at the dorm too, but handicap parking places were few and far between. Mm. And it was just an increasing barrier every day. I mean, it just built up. And I read this book called "The Hacker Ethic and the Spirit of the New Economy," which was kind of a play on. Uh, the Protestant ethic and the something economy, which was something we had to read for sociology. But it was kind of an interesting play on words. But it was co-authored by the author of Linux and two other guys. But it gave me such promise for the Internet. And, it, you know, like learning, like I could maybe do this college online, but the online stuff wasn't there in the early 2000s. Like there was some online courseware, but there was not anything like what you would have had in 2008 or what they have today. Well, so, and today I have one high schooler, two junior high schoolers, and a grade schooler all doing school completely online. And that's amazing to think about it like that. Yeah. What would they wouldn't have been able to do that back then? No. And now it's it's Zoom. It's this. It's what we're doing. Yeah. They are. Class- How's it working? Um, so it just started this week, started Wednesday. So they're three days in, um, couple of them. No problem. My high schooler, he's fine. My youngest is he's, he's fine too, with just doing it. I'm kind of struggling with both of the junior hires. Uh, the one is the one that just turned 13. She is not diagnosed, but she's high functioning spectrum Mm -hmm. and she's not formally diagnosed, but I had a doctor that encouraged me to go get a formally diagnosed and I decided I didn't want to because she's so high functioning 
and has a lot of great interventions. Right now, she's kind of, she had a lot of great teachers and at school, she actually thrives. She was in um, advanced math. She still is right now, but I'm worried about her ability to stay in it because of her, you know, just organizing the tasks herself and like following it is rough for her. So we're still trying to figure out how, what kind of new tools she needs for this format. Um, she's, she's seventh grade this year. And then my sixth grader moving into junior high because sixth grade is junior high here. He is so social that it's rough for him. Yeah. Really rough for him. Yeah. I was talking with somebody last night and they said the middle schoolers at the end of last uh, uh, spring semester, the middle school teachers just kind of phoned it in. They didn't even check. They just kind of handed out assignments and they just kind of. They all did. Students. Well, they all just this... kind, of, kind of phoned it in. Hmm. My kids would log into their Zoom, their Zoom chats and barely touch their homework. And I was all freaked out about that. And their teacher said they're doing better than 90% of the kids. Just the fact that they're checking in. So wow. Don't worry about it. And they all with flying colors yeah yeah Uh, your kid being on the spectrum i imagine i'm on the spectrum somewhere and i tell you what that i read in the mid-2000s my sister recommended an author to me daniel goleman social uh, social intelligence and emotional intelligence changed my life because i i was that's i was able to teach myself or learn some social skills that i didn't even know i didn't have um so that was a big that kids these days they they're they're so attached to their phones and sucked into video games they don't develop that and I you might be able to speak to more the why those numbers are going up um uh, autism spectrum um but I think it has something to do with disconnectedness um and just not developing skills because it is something that I proved to myself can be worked on mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So. i mean that's what the social sciences do i mean that's social workers their whole job is to find the interventions to help you learn those things uh caleb my youngest it, it's interesting so he's my fourth grader this year um he i don't know i don't think he's on the spectrum and he's not He's not even ADHD. He's he's super highly intelligent and he's a super extrovert. And he has no comprehension, very minimal comprehension of social graces and of how to have social community. So he got an IEP last year, social emotional only. What's IEP? IEP is in, you know what? I'm not sure what it stands for, um, but it is the- What's well, its function? Its function is uh, interventions, social interventions for kids. So okay, so like a flag of some sort. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, lots, lots of kids have them. Autistic kids have them. ADHD kids have them. It's you know, it's really about the accommodations that the school is going to make for this child's um, special learning needs. Okay. 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 So gotcha. In our case, and rarely is usually academics are wrapped up in that. For our case, academics is not on his IEP at all. Um, it's social emotional only. And he and Emily are like the same kid, except she's an extreme introvert and he's an extreme extrovert. They mm-hmm. like crazy, but he'll just barge in and start talking. He yeah. just start doing, he almost seems ADHD, but he's not. 
Um, but he's also the kid that is super into YouTube. And yeah. I do wonder, you know, because um, he was younger when I went back to work. Yeah. No, I stayed home with the other three. Uh -huh. But he's trying, and, and it's interesting. It's, he sounds kind of like me. Like, I don't, like, I'm an extrovert, Actually, but like, yeah. Yeah. some things I just did not pick up on. Like, I will. I will stick my foot in my mouth. I will accidentally say something that I didn't know yeah. was an offense. Like I obviously didn't mean it, but you know, I realized it later, you know, and right. I real I'm, I think that's one of the reasons why I remember everything is because like after like a night of embarrassing myself, I spend the rest of the night reliving it and like it gets burned in my head. Cause I was like, room that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, Oh my God, what did I do? The reality is, is it. that nobody else is thinking about that. Exactly. Once yes. you realize that, there's there's freedom in that. Yeah. I, I, getting older, um, in my mid-30s, I kind of realized that, yeah, that pretty much what you just said. Like, stop worrying about what other people think about you because they're not thinking about you nearly as much as you're thinking mm -hmm. about you at all, maybe. They're thinking about themselves. They're doing the same thing. They're ruminating on their own yep. stupid slip-up that they may have said. Yep, 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 yep. And that's uh, that's a lot of people could learn. Um, other authors that helped me, Malcolm Gladwell, and like comparing yourself to others, uh, the dangers of that, and self-esteem. Um, uh, he's good to check out. Like being uh, depressed in countries that rank very high on happiness indexes is especially hard. Uh, like in Canada or Switzerland. Because you look around you and the normal is so happy and your normal is so way different. Yeah. You, you feel you feel way out of out of, out of sorts. Very disconnected. Um, suicide rates are, are higher in happy countries that rate higher on the happiness index, I think. Um, Uh, yep, medium.com, Science Daily, happiest places had the highest suicide rates. National Post, highest suicide rates, 200 days a winter. Well, it's because those, those um, communities, and this is, just, this is just my education experience kind of um, proposing what I would think uh, could cause that without doing any good, you know, re actual research studies on it. I would think those uh, communities are, you don't really have permission to feel the negative emotions, right? Yeah, like, hey, what's wrong? Check up, uh, cheer up, mate. Or, you know, what, what's with the long Yeah, a little bit of false happiness. Uh -huh, uh -huh. You know, it makes me think of um, organized religion and how there can be a lot of judgment there on anything you're going through negative. And a tendency yeah. to not be truly transparent about what you're going through, because yeah. you're afraid of the judgment. Yeah. Yeah. People not being able to be themselves and being forced into putting on a false face for social pressure is a hard place to be. <laughs> it makes it very hard to, well, you can't be yourself for one thing. Um, I don't know. I think it makes it hard on a lot of people for a variety of reasons. I think it's everybody. 
It's just because we're human. Mm-hmm. Like that's part of the human condition. We're so complicated. <laughs> uh, we have the capacity to do the most beautiful, amazing things and the capacity to do horrific. horrific, you know, travesties against each other. And often, you know, the same person can do both. Yeah. Well, you it, reconcile those parts of you. Young, young said that the dividing line between good and evil runs right down the center of the human soul. Um, everybody has capable of uh, both of those extremes um, and everything along that continuum. Uh, it's like uh, the wolf, the two wolves battling inside you, you know, the good, the good one and the evil one. Which one wins? The one you feed. Which one do you feed? Yeah. Same one, yeah. It's funny because I don't, I don't remember not seeing fairness, right? Like even from a young age, I had this just like understanding of what was fair and just and right. Mm-hmm. Wondered why people made decisions opposite of what was the fair, just decision to make. And I got into, I got into psychology though. in I was seven. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Cause my little brother was born when I was six and he was about a year old. Mm. My stepmom went back to school to earn mm. her LPN and an RN. And she had a summer night class psych class that she couldn't get a babysitter. So she took me. So I went to ACC like every, I don't remember what night of the week it was, but it was, I remember it was summer and with uh-huh. her and I get a soda and some candy and sit in class. In sociology or in psychology, psychology, basic psychology class 101. That's, that's interesting. Um, yeah. do, is there anything you remember from that class or just a, you oh. got some impressions? Oh no. I actually, when the class was over, took the books for the class to my room and they lived there and I would pour through those books. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. And I think I was just drawn to it. Like I had a, an understanding of what should be for all people, you know, what should be fair because we're all human. And why was life not like that was a question that I had. I definitely, yeah, I definitely had a sense of, uh, like I watched gorillas in the mist when I was like, oh, I don't know, yeah. it must've been f- fourth grade or so. And it made me furious. I mean, I was mad and angry. Still upsetting. I don't know. But uh, I definitely had a sense of that, too, as well. And that's probably what steered me into sociology. Um, would be the study of that. Um, and psychology. I, always had an, I took some psych courses as well. And I've read more psychology after that. Um, I've continued to my learning in um social sciences um um on my own it's still an interest um it's obviously something you have to keep up with with your job mm. so but uh things are getting worse for people uh my job shifted over the years and you know i once i went back to school i started out doing addiction and, and recovery um with homeless veterans in shelter in columbus ohio uh-huh. started there and um Moved back out to Washington, ended up on the crisis line mm-hmm. for five county area. Um, also took the national lifeline calls. We were the call center for lifeline, so direct suicide calls. And we also dispatched 
um, the mental health professionals in the area over a five county area to who had the right to involuntarily detain someone um, for psychological reasons like danger to self, danger to others or grave disability. Right. And I did that. I did that for a better part of a year. And then I moved into management, started managing the team. And then I kind of had this, there was this whole Washington system change and I ended up in insurance authorization for psychiatric stays Mm -hmm. and was doing that for the state of Washington side just before the whole system kind of changed. And now I'm on the hospital side where I'm seeking the authorization for inpatient psychiatric hospitalization from big MCOs. What, so what system change? Like, like so state institutional changes? Yeah. Um, the state of Washington had uh, kind of had split medical insurance for Medicaid mm-hmm. and mental health insurance for Medicaid, like away from each other. So you think of Medicaid and you think of, I mean, I don't know what's in Kentucky, but I know Molina Healthcare is there. I don't know if they have Medicaid contracts, but you've got your Molina Healthcare, um, Amerigroup, um, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Regents, Primera, you know those, right? Um, yeah, yeah, kind of. Blue Cross, Blue, Blue Shield of Michigan for some reason. Yeah, because I'm a contractor. I don't know. The paperwork, I hate it. I, 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 I glaze over. So that's my like, world nowadays. <laughs> I couldn't. I, I, I don't, don't understand. I don't understand it. Wow. Well, okay. so Washington used to actually give um, the the Medicaid dollars for psychiatric only, mental health only, and addiction only, like to the regions, and not to the big insurance companies. So the regions kind of did their own thing and built their own systems. Um, so six months before, well, a couple of years ago, state voted to change all that and like make it integrated, right? So the mental health was more holistic with the medical, which is great. It should be. Okay. Okay. I kind of saw something like that here. Washington decided, you know what? This is stupid. We're backwards. Let's connect it. And mm-hmm. the whole system was changing. Um, our program, you know, the same nonprofit that did the crisis and lifelines also did the uh, psychiatric Medicaid billing or authorizations for a five county area. Um, long story short, I got thrown in the day before the program director and assistant program director were both being laid off and told I need to go run the program and see it close for the next six months. Well, six months turned into a year. And we had to dwindle down the program from a staff of like, oh, I don't remember now, it's like seven or eight down to two full-times and one part-time person to wrap it up and hand it over to the big insurance companies. And then I got laid off. And then I got recruited by one of the hospitals that I gave authorizations for who found out I was laid off and said, please come work here. We'll offer you a lot of money. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Said, Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> so there wasn't much downtime. That's, that's- I intentionally took one month off between jobs to enjoy myself. That is a, a psych, a psychological break from work is fantastic. Like, uh, my former gig, I was responsible for like 400 users and I would wake up at like two o'clock in the morning thinking about what I forgot to do. Oh. Um, and like it started to manifest itself physically, you know, in stress symptoms. And I just, 
that thing was winding down like uh, uh, for other reasons. So, but that that caused stress because I didn't know what to jump to. Like that had been my life. Uh, working, I had been working from home, and that fit me and you know my situation. Um, it was easier for me in a lot of ways. Um, and so like my world was like coming apart and it really stressed me out and freaked me out. That was around 2015, 2016, 2017. And, um, uh, I got on where I am now and I can pretty much, uh, well, when I was in the office, I could forget about what I was doing when I got in the car. And that was such a relief. You know, it was such a mental vacation. Um, uh, I didn't have much time in between, but I had that in the evenings where I didn't have to worry about it anymore. I had my personal life back. You know, it wasn't all consuming. So that was a great uh, stress relief in and of itself. Uh, like, I don't think I could have handled everything else. I handled everything else as it was. But, uh, Man, um, it's been a godsend. And actually, it's weird. Like this uh, COVID thing, it's kind of the world's adapting to what I, the way I have to live. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, welcome to my world. Um, but yeah, and I was selfishly happy that I got to work from home again. Although I know a lot of people lost their jobs. I'm quite aware. Um, I don't take for granted what I've got. I'm very thankful. Um, but uh, working from home suits me best. So um, I'm happy for that. Uh, it's better for me. I considered uh, looking for at-home jobs. I mean, I've been at the hospital now for over a year. Um, uh-huh. You know, it's interesting because um, I'm deep in this world, but I just, I'm very jaded to capitalism. And that, that's mm-hmm. really what it comes down to. And when we talk about how crazy the world is now and mm-hmm. all of the flashpoints and the politics, and in healthcare, especially, the, the profit incentive, it doesn't work. There, there was a great, um, This American Life did a great uh, history of America's healthcare system. And the lead up to uh, the Obamacare Act, uh, it was a two-parter, but it was a great history lesson on how we got to this crazy hybrid employer-sponsored thing we've got today. But during the war, there was a wage on, uh, there was a freeze on wages. So to make jobs more attractive, they would be like, well, we can offer you uh, health insurance if you need to go to the doctor. You know, we got a plan for that yeah. because they couldn't raise wages. That was a way to make because uh, so many people were off fighting there. They were as a scarcity of workers. Um, so they had to be competitive in other ways. But that's how we got stuck with that. I mean, it, it, we've got all these legacy systems built on legacy systems. And we need reformers, innovators and and people that are stuck in the middle and have old ways of thinking to get the hell out of the way in so many ways. I have to be be so mindful and cautious because I mean, the reality is, is I work in a for-profit system, Mm -hmm. multiple States. And it's, it's what you said. We need reform. We need, we need some of the old systems and especially 
the ones who hold the money and make the decisions to go ahead and move along so that the innovators can take the reins and mm. bring certain things into the 21st century and the digital age. You know, we're still paper-based charts. Mm. We're hybrid, mm. actually. We do have our medication. After I went to work there, mm. we adopted um, an electronic med medication administration record system. So called Mar. Um, but it's decisions made on money and not mm. people are mm. poor decisions. If you choose people first, always, everything else falls into place and you'll end up having what you need. There are some things that markets do. It's kind of like micro. Everybody's like a piece of a microprocessor in decision making that creates demand and it shows where things are needed, like where your uh, the regional healthcare centers are given money to do with as they would instead of like a top down structure. There's more of a ground bottom or ground bottom on the ground. You have a better vision of what needs to go where. Um, when it's top-down control from, you know, too centrally, too, cent too centrally managed, they don't have enough information to make those decisions. Where in, in the, the good, the thing, it's got its pros and cons, obviously. Um, there's, there's the individual decision-making um, and individual points of view having influence on a system is invaluable because otherwise that information wouldn't get received as input and it taken into the decision-making process. But it needs to, the ethics needs to have a much higher role. And we need social safety nets. We need stronger social safety nets. There's a lot we need to reform. Um, and we you know, and, and I guess I guess this is a good jumping point into you know what the current protests are in regards to defunding the police and what that means. Mm -hmm. You know, because the word defund totally gives this connotation of let's just take the money away, mm -hmm. and then we are not safe. Whereas, mm -hmm. whereas that's not accurate of the real motivation of the of the movement, which is more of that. Let, let's get more of that ground up. We need money distributed more to mental health intervention teams. You know, we need um, more like built in. So we're defunding, defunding the militarization of the organizations that are supposed to be our social glue, like societal glue of like making yeah. communities are working smoothly, right? Yeah. I got pulled over in like 2007 on my way to class when I went back to finish my degree and it was like it wasn't even a state trooper he was like a highway patrol but he had like combat boots and his pants were bloused out of his combat boots I'm like you're a highway patrol what are you are you are you going tromping through the jungle I mean, mm -hmm, you, mm -hmm. what's this what's this what's this look you know and cops started to get all these MRAP vehicles from excess, you know, um, war surplus stuff. And uh, yeah, the militarization of the police 
started to concern me a long time ago. Um, we obviously do need something to maintain peace. Uh, cops are asked to do way too much. Uh, they shouldn't handle. Uh, they shouldn't be first responders in many situations. Um, I think it's frustrating to be a cop. There are good cops and there are bad cops. Um, I think the majority want to do the right thing, but they're put in a situation. They're not the ones making the policy that they have to enforce. Um, I think it's important to keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. I was just I was kind of looking up. I've, my cousin um, just moved back to the states. Her and her husband from Germany. He works for the Department of Defense, and I'll just kind of stop there. Mm. But they've been there for the better part of a decade and now they're in Portland and they are literally living in downtown Portland. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I was down there, my daughter and I went a couple weeks back about a month ago, right after they got here and visited them. And it was just after the big flashpoint in Portland, um, at the, uh, courthouse. In that, the federal courthouse. The, yeah. The federal building. And, they had moved on to the East precinct after that, but there was still barricade. There was still a Washington state patrol. I'm sorry. It was Oregon. Oregon state patrol was, um, that's how they convinced the feds to move out is that Oregon state patrol came in and Mm -hmm. that's like what had stopped it. And there were still some mild protests. Um, the murals were beautiful. The murals, like it's the downtown businesses had actually invited the artists of the city mm-hmm. to please paint black life matters murals. And I've got, I could send you a ton of pics. I took a ton, but I asked her because it started flashing off again after we were there back down mm-hmm. at the courthouse. And she said that they're not afraid uh, living here in the city. No, I don't want to install that. Remind me later. <laughs> um, no windows update. Not right now. Not now. Uh, we frequently walk the city streets and eat out at various locations, which is what we did that weekend. I visited. Mm-hmm. Today, we walked to the waterfront, rented a tandem bike for an hour. There's a lot of people in the city. The energy was definitely a buzz because it was the 100th day of protest for Black Lives Matters. This was yesterday. Yesterday was yeah. the 100th 100 day days. of protest. Wow. Okay. Um, people were everywhere. She said, the protests are generally calm and peaceful, but the behavior shifts after the protests conclude and the bad actors stay late to raise hell and defy police orders. As we speak, I can hear an occasional firework from our apartment window, and we are six blocks from the main protest site near the Justice Center. And I said, wow, and she sent a picture of the city. Um, She said there's no police cars. It gets a little louder after midnight or so. You can hear some, like, fireworks and stuff, and then it fades. And she said nothing happened last night. It was, there was actually, it was peaceful. That's good. Um, Yeah, that's kind of what I was kind of gathering was that after night, it's the attitude changed um, of the streets and like who was out there. Um, I don't know. I, I, I did see on Twitter, like caught people shooting fireworks at cops um, exploding as their lines advanced to try to put, I don't know what was going on. The context of these videos is impossible. Yeah. You know, Cause you get like a 30 second clip of like, 200 people interacting and you know what actually happened the thing the thing i keep in mind uh, like 10 years ago there was this video of um comic-con in somewhere in the southwest 
But what you see in the video is people beating on this car and he kind of rams a bunch of people going through a crosswalk and Comic-Con people walking across the street. Um, And you think, my God, this guy's a psychopath, right? Um, When you, you actually hear what happened is he and his wife are both deaf. They're in the front seats. Their kids are in the back. They're yelling at him. He doesn't understand what they're saying. And they're beating on the glass, beating on the car. They start to try to open the back seat where his kids are. And he's like, I got to get the hell out of here. And I think, you know, he still got charged with something. But it wasn't the malicious, crazy thing that, you know, that it was apparently the first time you watched it before yeah. you heard the, the investigation. Um, so anytime I see a video, I don't react. Like, I try to keep a 30,000 foot view. All of these reports, uh, I, I don't know what to make of it. And like some, and I really hate it when people, I can't, it's hard. I don't hate it, but it makes it really difficult when people like put something in your face and force you to react. And it's like, I don't know what the facts are. I don't know what you're showing me. You know, and I don't I don't know what I don't know if you if they have a motive and trying to present me with something and trying to influence my opinion on something. I don't know. I need facts. Um, so I, I I don't focus on those things just because I can't know and I don't have time to dig through everything. Um, I agree. With emotions are irrational they mm-hmm. what they are and you have a right to feel whatever you feel in the moment but mm-hmm. it's not rational yeah and you have to understand that and same thing like what really happened well so much on social media no matter what direction it's coming from i heard it described the other day as a race to the bottom of the brain stem to try to get you to react primally to get you scared to get you on board and as thinking rational people, we need to take a step back and take in more information. And because I think everybody has a point of view and everybody has a different set of informations that they take in and process. I try to take in a lot. And uh, I, I know some people are taken very narrow streams uh, from sources. I obviously don't have all the story and um, there's so much of that online, but the world's complicated. We need to keep that in mind before we start yelling at one another. Um, Right. You know, I've got, you know, I've always been, um, uh, liberally minded and have a strong social sense of social justice. Um, that's very important to me, but it's also very important for me to get it right. Um, uh, to actually find solutions that actually do something. Um, um, I agree. I agree with that. You know, you can't just suddenly decide to vote your police departments unfunded. Mm-hmm. You haven't figured out what the replacement is. That's yeah. Short-sighted. Reform yeah. needs to happen, change needs to happen, but that is terribly short-sighted. 
Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I wanted to kind of jump back and we talked about this before. I want to talk about the story, but you have always been social justice minded and so have I. Yeah. I remember, was it, was it sixth grade or seventh grade we did Kuna? Was it in Alps or was it in the... I think it was, I think it was seventh grade. I, I always kind of get that a little mixed up. <sighs> Could have been sixth grade. That's a good question. Because we were, we seemed pretty young. Because I, I want to say 12 or 13. I think it was an Alps trip just before junior high. I think it was sixth grade. Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's, yep. that's what keeps kind of getting me. But um, so we went to Lexington or Louisville. I don't remember which. It was at the Holiday Inn on North Lexington. I passed by it every day when I used to go to the office. I love it. It's a different that. hotel now. <laughs> I'll, send, I'll send you a pic sometime. I love that you know that. I, I, I remember the inside. It was really pretty. Um, mm -hmm. I liked it. But we did this exercise. So Kuna was Kentucky United Nations Assembly. So I guess all of the smart kids from Kentucky got to got to be different countries and decide to go and do a mock United Nations, which is really cool. Um, uh -huh. Really. I yeah. really loved that whole experience. But Were we all Ireland? Yeah, or was no. Okay. Okay. So we had two countries because our group was that big. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was Friar because like nobody else, no, no other school put us in costumes, I think. But our our teachers put us in costumes. I remember I was Friar Tuck. You know, another guy was a leprechaun. And I think you know who it was. And he was very, very I unhappy. <laughs> I want to see it. I have a little, an old school little, little pat, pick pack with random things, you know, like, you know, oh, your, so your dances, you hand out your dance picks, you know, homecoming and all <laughs> that. I've got, I've got that, but I've got our Ireland pick. Please, please, please. I, I need that. I will I need find that it in my life. You can okay. pass it on to the other people, <laughs> some of the other uh, people. Uh, I'll just blast it and tag you all. Anyway, so so we did an exercise right before lunch. It was it was the end of morning session, and we were doing a gross national product exercise, and um, and it was when all of the countries, so all the schools were together before you do the little breakout groups. So we were all together in the large meeting room, and. They handed out loaves of bread equal to so many thousands of dollars of gross national product, right? Um, I remember Ireland had one loaf of bread, which was pretty respectful, actually. But that was that was it. Uh, and the United States had some stupid amount. I, I don't remember, but it was like 100 loaves. It was something completely ridiculous. And they asked us groups to only eat lunch from the bread. I remember that. And a lot of people didn't do that. But you were handing out our bread. You had it, you were handing it out to our class, but you were saying, but who doesn't have enough? Because there were countries that got like a quarter piece of bread or a half a piece of bread, not a loaf of bread or a hundred loaves of bread. And you were like, Ireland has more than enough to share. And I never thought of that. I don't remember that. It's funny things uh, you remember, and the, then the things you don't, right? Like, uh, you yeah. Because yeah, I'll remember the most idiosyncratic things that are, are little weird things that nobody else, that aren't really meaningful. But, it wasn't meaningful that, to you, but I actually followed the directions of the exercise. 
And I got what were the what were the instructions? They wanted the the, the groups, um, the countries, to only eat lunch from the bread that day, okay. As, okay. as a lesson of a point. Mm -hmm. And I took one piece of bread and I went back up to my room and whatever girls I was rooming with weren't there, and I was alone. And I laid down and cried because mm. I got the lesson. It hit me really hard on a global scale. The countries that were starving. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got a sense of that from my mom too. Uh, and she, uh, she uh, ran the Shelter of Hope in Ashland for a. Uh, while we were in high school, um, she was director. Um, so I probably got a big sense of that from my mom, probably. Oh, yeah. And my, my dad's also, he's got a huge heart, too. And he's, he, he, he helps in where, where he sees need, and he doesn't make a deck about it. My, my kids and I have, have definitely have social justice conversations regularly that definitely can't be normal to most families. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, it's, it scared me. It was so different. Like the, when I went into sociology early on in the two thousands, um, my freshman year, I think I was in communications and I switched somewhere along the way. But I mean, we started to get introduced to, concepts like privilege and these are terms we need to understand social phenomenon and they've been un they've been turned around and used on laymen and almost a very much in, in some ways to make people feel guilty and ashamed and because there are examples where you can see where people are um, forced to say, like, people are signing equ equ equity plans and uh, forced to say, I am racist and I will for remember to do better. And like, um, where I don't think that's a good place to start because I think I'm afraid that some people aren't going to get the message. They're going to get defensive. They're going to get their back up. Yeah. And it's going to, they're going to react. They are, re, uh, many of them are reacting in a way that is not a good, not where we want to go. Well, um, guilt and shame and fear. Fear is a poor motivator. It Fear mm -hmm. garners compliance, but only for a short time. Yep. And there are some people... Like, I mean, if you're strong, if you're independent minded like me and you are like, I don't know, I've got this self-defense mechanism, like my pork, I've got porcupine spines. I think of it like, like if I get on the defensive, I've t had to tone down because um, I overreact and that's bad. That's been a bad in a lot of situations. I'm a lot better than I used to be. But I mean, if I was someone who had... um something to hide in that regard and i i could see that going really south really fast and them starting to you know 
join some far right na- white nationalist crazy shit, you know? And I was, I'm afraid that they're going to take like the last 25 people that are in the clan and like inflate their numbers or something. I, I think we just need to step back and think about how we're applying, applying this terms. Um, that's about all I have to say on that sort of thing right now. I, I, I don't know where else to go. Just step back and think about it. I mean, there are obvious problems. We've been destroying communities of color for years. We've been breaking them apart. We've been sending male role models to prison for offenses that shouldn't involve prison terms. Shouldn't shouldn't involve the law at all in many cases in my opinion have you watched uh 13 on netflix have you seen this documentary yet 13 no um so start there okay it's about the 13th amendment and which uh clearly legalizes slavery Uh um because it allows for forced labor of prisoners and that's where that began. And that documentary is, I mean, obviously it's a um, history or fiction. So it's kind of dramatized. No, 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 it's not. It's no, it's not historic fiction. It's completely a documentary. Um, okay, but right. of course, all documentaries have an agenda, right? So sure, sure, sure. Care, keep that in mind. So much, um, there's so much there. There's so much truth there. When, when was the 13th Amendment passed, you know? Uh, right after slavery was made illegal. Wow. Okay. It's all connected. It's, it's all connected. <sighs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. all the same people. Yeah. And then systems started going into place that, I mean, it's all connected. And it will... Well, that's been an institution since the history. days and the protests mm-hmm. are still a flashpoint. Yeah, I don't blame the people who have legitimate grievance and uh, the people who have been the target of systemic oppression. I think there are agitators whose hearts may have been in the right place at the beginning, um, who wanted to come in and help people that they saw. That, like the crazy, the crazy bad actors you see at night on these videos on Twitter, are white. For the most part, um, I, I think they think they're doing good, uh, but it's anarchy and it's not helpful. Um, I, I, I think we need, as somebody who's comes from the left, uh, I think I need the the left needs its rudders, and you know keep the extremes from b- being too much an influence, you know. Because uh, people, we're a nation of diverse minds. There are going to be people of this different dispositions, always. I don't want everybody the same mindset. That sounds boring as hell. I want I want conversations and civil arguments, um, and that's how we. I think that constant tension between two sides helps make fine adjustments we need to get us on to keep us balanced as we walk a tightrope really so we don't fall to one side that's kind of how i see it
I see I I see the wisdom in accepting others I other ideas and thinking outside of people as, you know, what group they belong to. But in the in the marketplace of ideas um that okay, you know, somebody comes to the table and they're screaming uh all these people of for some immutable quality be it skin color or nationality or gender or whatever that they have this flaw you can't speak in broad terms like that no your idea is stupid you go back and work on it and come back when you got something that's usable you know that those ideas aren't allowed at the table just because you're an idealist <laughs> it'll we'll, we'll never yeah. see it well, yeah, but um, but you can more have jaded because I'm an activist. Yeah. yeah, but I I can see rational people on both sides because I know rational conservatives, I know rational liberals, I know rational atheists, I know r- rational fundamentalist religious people who have their thing and they don't force their beliefs on somebody else. I prefer to hold ideas instead of beliefs nowadays, mm. um, because mm-hmm. if a ba- an idea is bad, it's easier to let go of. Um, and I've had some bad ideas in the past. Um, I used to be pretty fundamentalist Christian at one point, and I realized that's not <clears throat> the whole world, and it's not my place to make the whole world. For like. your recovery, I too have walked that recovery journey. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was an avowed Marxist at one point. I was, I got scared in, when I went back to finish sociology, that I saw critical theories and some things being applied, <clears throat> weaponized, like we're seeing these, I don't think it's too strong of a term, and that liberals I knew were being illiberal in silencing people that disagreed with them. And that was against my ethos of expressing yourself. And like, if, if we're being jerks and, and nobody's saying anything, I'm going to stand up and say, hey, we're being jerks. I don't know. And I kind of get marginalized for that. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe I play it too hard sometimes. I don't know where where to apply it effectively or I feel a need to because I think we need to bring the temperature down this in this country because <coughs> um, people are starting the, just last week 30 people have died in the protests since they started 30 people I don't know what it's up to now that's 30 lives That is 30 lives. That's people. That's. I don't, I don't know. I don't know every situation. I can't think. Any one of them is unnecessary. You know, I'm a peacemaker. I I have always assessed that justice where I'm a peacemaker at heart. I want to negotiate at the table. I want to, you know, find the least restrictive avenue. Um, Mm you know, for, to come to the table and agree on something. Mm-hmm. You no, know, I, I want to do that. I want to help people understand each other. 
I can sit in meetings all day long and all I can see misunderstandings and conversation. Yeah. And, and in person, you can, you know, smooth it real quick. And I do that all the time. Oh, no, I'm not gonna. She meant what, you know, and kind of just stop that kind of thing. But this, I, I said early on, and I'm going to stick by it. Um, we're at a point where this isn't just about Black Lives Matter. And this isn't about politics anymore. This is about moral high ground. And moral high ground is where wars happen. And I'm really, 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 I won't say scared because it's not fear, but it's, it's like eyes open, look at history and look at the situations and mm-hmm. we're due a civil war. It seems that I hope not. I don't, oh, yeah, I don't I want that not. to happen for, for personal reasons. Like if society breaks down, like very, very selfish reasons, like, you know, I, the grocery delivery and crap I just, I need to live on won't be there. So on a very selfish level, I'm, I'm, I have a whole well, theory about what'll happen. But okay. Well, if, different if, theories, but added, you're welcome to add that if you'd like. Well, there's, there's a couple of different avenues that happens. You know, I, I don't know if, uh, even if Trump isn't voted, if he'll actually leave there's, I have one school of thought that says that he refuses and it just, it's all out war there. But I think I remember Bill Maher saying that about George Bush too. And I was afraid of that at the time too. I was never afraid of it with Bush, but Trump's the one that keeps saying he's not going to leave. Um, and the reality is, is he does say what he means. If you actually listen to him, he says what he means. Hmm. But anyway, we already see that Washington, Oregon, and California um, entered into a kind of like collaborative a few months ago uh, when Trump was like threatening to cut off supply lines if we didn't comply and open businesses back up. And so did the Northeast. The Northeast, a bunch of states up there, New York, New Jersey, and some others did the same thing. They kind of entered, the governors entered packs with each other. That, hey, we're going to stand together. Mm-hmm. And what we believe, regardless of what this president is saying, telling us to do. And it's mm-hmm. right to have the right to do that. And so that kind of had come up. I could see where the country would, the country would end up splitting like that into like threes. I could see that happening. And in this case, you'd still have a lot of infrastructure and farming and you've got the internet. And I don't think that you'd see the drastic, like, you know, the the drastic supply lines cut down. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it would be out and out war. I don't know what it would look like. And, you know, we have tons of military bases around here. Um, but uh, look, in Portland itself, the city, it's, I've never been there, but I've always gotten a sense from Portlandia to, you know, every other thing I've read about Portland, the city itself. It seems like the liberalist place in America. Why there is there such strong protest? Because the city is very liberal, but most of the rest of Oregon isn't. Same with Washington. Mm-hmm. Western Washington is very liberal. The rest of Washington is totally mm-hmm. not. So these are both two states that are drastic. Like it, it is. There's a lot of 
drastic population like clashing here. Yeah. Also, if there was, if there was a war, it's not like there's a north-south divide. It's between houses. Yeah. You know where people. Ideal. There's no. There's no geographic divide. I mean, it would be like firecrackers going off everywhere. It would be states. Governors would have to weigh. I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't be like just pondering that because I got to go make a birthday cake shortly. That's very depressing to think about. What else? Oh, yeah. Birds aren't real. (laughs) We should talk about how the birds aren't real. (laughs) I don't know about this theory. I've heard the meme. What is the rationale for birds not being real? So the way I understand the the origins of it, um, and you can go look it up on Instagram. If you're on Instagram, go look it up. And I think, yeah, I got a couple of college kids that just wanted to (laughs) start a conspiracy theory. So the conspiracy theory is, is that the birds were all replaced in the fifties with mechanical birds that are spying on us. They even got, you watch it. It's well done. It's actually a clever video editing. Some of the clips they've got one of their family members now being like the lead scientist for all the bird replacement but so many people actually believe it as a real conspiracy now. Like it, it's just, it is the most interesting study of, you know, what people will fall for because it was meant to be satire. And yet it's a whole thing now. And it's satire. That it's is not real. That's crazy. They're really clever videos. How many people do you, did they know that? Is there any polling? Do they have any idea how many people subscribe to this? Um, for real, for real, I don't know, like, how many people, like, actually believe it, but a lot of people follow the page. The history of birds aren't real. Audubon Society. Audubon.org, are birds actually government-issued drones? Well, I mean, they only have <laughs> Somebody at Audubon. Posts, Audubon's they have 300,000 followers. That's amazing. What's up with these posters? Anyway, it that's worth the rabbit hole. It's a. Uh, it won't be too long before it like surpasses flat Earth theory and an actual beliefs theory. It's so anti-science flat Earth theory. It just as somebody who grew up loving science, it just drives me crazy. Uh, I don't know. I flat Earth. I I cannot wrap my brain around a world where we are an experiment in a cage by some other being. And that's because that's what it comes down to. Our theory comes down to that. There's a reason there's a wall around us. We're in a cage. Uh, I love, I've always loved NASA, you know, went to Kennedy space center as a kid. Science fiction is my favorite genre ever of books and of TV and of movies. And because it's philosophical and problem solving and logical and it I wasn't big into sci-fi but my favorite book was a Heinlein book Stranger in a Strange Land because mm. it was it was about uh, Mike was a Martian and he learned how to be a human and like my favorite line from well I've got a lot of favorite lines from that um, was there he was with Jill at the zoo and he's he was raised on Mars and he didn't know understand laughter 
and a big monkey hits a little monkey and the little monkey hits a smaller monkey and Mike starts laughing out loud and he's like I get it I get why you laugh now we laugh because it hurts and laughter is the only thing that stops the hurting Yeah. So that's an amazing book. <laughs> I liked uh, one of my favorite books was the Martian Chronicles. And of course, by the time I read it, it was compiled into a book because it wasn't originally a book. It was um, a series published in, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a science fiction like, I, I think it was like quarterly. Well, we we had that for summer reading for before freshman year. I'd read it long before that. Uh, okay. Because right. it was on my dad's bookshelf, and I devoured many yeah. books. You know, the yeah. Dune series in grade school. Um, Never got into Dune. So I shouldn't have read. Half my friends, my friends did. At that age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the Martian Chronicles just really kind of struck me. You hmm. know, we wiped them out with chicken pox. Yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah. And then, and then we destroy Mars, and then the Earth is exploding, and all the people go back to Earth to try to fix it. Yeah. And Mars is now ruined. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, yeah, that reminds me of Guns, Germs, and Steel. And that's where, as a book, like, why European civilization had such great influence over modern society... It was a lot by accident, and like our our viruses and polio and smallpox, or not polio, smallpox and whatever else we brought to the new world preceded us. And ninety percent of the popu- indigenous population was wiped out in advance of the kind of the waves as we yeah. went westward. You know, I mean. <sighs> the animals that were in Europe when we came up out of Africa and into the area were easily domesticated. There was lots of good farmland. We had lots of mineral deposits and the, the history being brought the sold that it's white. We have to decolonize and society can spread you know, can get picked up by anybody. It, the advancements of um, being civil—that's why people come to America. Yeah. I mean, I mean, people that created this country knew the contradiction and what they were involved with with the institution of slavery, but that had been around since the history of time. It still exists, as we discussed. <laughs> Um, you know, if you've, you look who makes your shoes or um, picks your tomatoes that go in your taco at Taco Bell, you know, that's slavery. It's still there. Yep. Um, it doesn't mean we can't fix it, but um, wiping and starting fresh, society's flimsy. And you know, I don't think enough people understand how bad it would get to go back to that. I, I I just have to say that. How brutal and horrible war is. I think people that know about it, people that have come to this country from other countries that have been war-torn, we need to listen to them. Yeah. 
Uh, oh yeah, I, it's I, time I, again. I hear you. So want to present it as like a predestined thing, and I, I think that we all have a role to play. Like every little thing we do, and like a butterfly wings can start in in India can start a hurricane that ravages across the Atlantic and slams in the United States. We have no idea how much influence we've got. I have a question. <laughs> Did you ever read? So it sounds random, but it's not to me. Uh, the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan. Mm, not familiar with it at all. Oh. Wheel okay. of Time. Tell um, me about it. It's fantasy. It's high fantasy. What is the author? It, it's that, um, at its core, it's Robert Jordan, he's the author. Okay. The kind of at its core is this idea that while there are the cycles and patterns, that there's also, it's, it's, it's that relationship between the cycles and patterns and will. You know, uh-huh. core, you know but it's high fantasy concept comes up in there Hmm. certainly a lot of headwinds for sure um as individuals i think one of the things we're supposed to do is lessen suffering Mm. as much as we can i think that's the problem that like fundamentalist christianity got wrong and i think bob marley corrected it is that and that there's some reward Paradise is waiting for us in the next life. And in the song, um, it says, uh, Some people think great God will come from the sky, take away everything, and make everyone feel high. But if you know what life is worth, you will look for yours on earth, and now you see the light. We're supposed to make it here. Yeah. We're supposed to love here. Yeah, we're supposed to love each other. Exactly. Um, I think it's important. I agree with that. Um, love is my religion. It's the answer. It's it, it's the answer. It's it's always been it, it's always been the answer. It's the only answer that works. It's the only thing we can agree on. That you know. And something we're all capable of. And the more closed off we get into our phones and fall into virtual isolated worlds, we get addicted to other emotions. Get it? We can get addicted to being abused. We can get addicted to anger. We can get addicted to sadness or poking wounds that we never let heal. It's uh, that's just that's that's attachment theory. You get attached mm-hmm. to something and you don't want to change, even if that attachment is toxic. And change would be healing. You have to debride a wound to clean it, right? You have to like scrub it out, and that hurts worse. Ir- irrigate it. Yeah. Yep. And and that hurts really bad, but that's the only way it heals. Don't yeah, want to do that. I agree. You know, just do, stay in the situation they're in, then actually like do the hard work it takes to do something better. But it's worth it. Absolutely, man. Put it, like realizing that you know I need it to do self work on myself and care about myself and improve myself, and that I, I was worth it. 
it was hard yeah. to face uh, some things I didn't want to think about, but it's uh, it's been worthwhile. And um, I think anybody <clears throat> who doesn't think they're worth it can use a little encouragement because it doesn't take much encouragement. And there's not enough out there. But that's it. We're back at that core of all people are valuable. Just to me, every person deserves a basic foundational respect just because you are life with your own emotions and your own experiences and your own thoughts. And everyone has just as rich of an inner life as each other. And we're not disconnected. Emotions are all the same and we all experience them. Some mm -hmm. different causes the emotions, but at the end of it, the emotions are the same. Articulating emotions into words is hard work. It's an art. And I've gotten better at that over the years. And I think it's helped me see, see understand interpersonal conflict better. And uh, while I've tried to help some people in my family, they, it doesn't seem they don't. I'm looking for a specific book, but I think it might be in the box on. Um, yeah, I don't think it's in my shelf here above me. Um, it's a communication book, and it really helped me, oddly enough, written by a Christian pastor, but who was also um, like a licensed psychologist, but it was really about how to pause, you know, when you're in a, when you're in a conversation, it starts to get heated, how to like pause and kind of realize that the emotion, we got to set the emotion out of it. I'm a basically nice person. You're freaking out of something I said. It's probably, I don't know why you're freaking out. Like, I don't know what's going on with you. And so I can kind of sidestep that by acknowledging your emotion and then we can move on and actually talk because that's where real communication and understanding happens oh you know i i hear that you're frustrated what is it about what i just said that is frustrating you if i just ask you that question i've acknowledged your emotion you'll answer me and then it it's it's moot it doesn't matter anymore it's easier said than done um so i've tried the when people have had issue with me, um, I've, I've tried to get them to, ex if, if you could give me solid feedback instead of just you're, you're reacting and I'm asking like, you know, give me, articulate something like that I can use. Give me constructive criticism. Don't just insinuate I've got something bad about my character. And I think it's because they don't want to hear what I have to say or they I don't know how much of it's they don't have an argument against what I have to say and that frustrates them. Um, I don't, I think sometimes there's a little dishonesty there. I don't know. I, I feel um, like we could dig into these, these, these are some, these are some complicated, these are some complicated things that I might talk to you about in person. Cause I could use, I could use some therapy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd love to talk to you about that sometime. But uh, you, you're baking it. This has been an hour and 28 minutes. You're yeah, baking a birthday cake tonight. Whose birthday? Butter out to, to thaw. 
and now I gotta go make um You gotta cut the sugar into the butter. No, you do that whole bit. I, I love I love it, cooking. Um and I would, but I just went ahead and bought since we were doing this, I bought some a gluten free cake mix that's good enough. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've ever made a cake from scratch. I've done all kinds of other stuff from scratch. Make pancakes. I've got good pancake picks up. My pan my pancakes seem to turn out good. To People bread. like pancakes. I used to bake bread every weekend. I had loaves of bread and then I became allergic to wheat and I stopped baking bread. <laughs> that sucks. The New York Times had a no no need bread that you don't have to do anything with. You just kind of mix it up, set it aside for eighteen hours and plop it in the oven. That's fantastic. Big, big, big bubbles, yeasty, hard crust, good stuff. Unfortunately, it's hard to bake. But uh, um, gluten-free flour is fantastic for cakes, yeah. fantastic for pastries because you don't want gluten. Mm -hmm. Like that's the whole point. It's really hard to get a good rise from a homemade. Well, yeah. the gluten's the long proteins that make it stringy and allow for big bubbles you know cakes yeah. have very small bubbles and uh, well i hope you enjoy your birthday i is it family or is it your birthday or well ha ha you mentioned yeah, that happy was, birthday emily i said that baby just turned 13 today cool you did say that i'm sorry it, like i said i don't always pick up on social cues <laughs> but happy birthday emily and I don't know. Right? The mind's an enigma. I love the mind. It's fascinating. We can do this again thing. sometime and I can delve into talking about the mind. Yes. Yeah. Social psychology. Yeah. We could compare notes on, on the different works we've read. But it's an hour and 30 minutes in. I think this has been fantastic. I think uh, you know, talking is great and it needs uh, calm minds right now. But thank you so thank much you for joining for having me. me. And, uh, Enjoy your enjoy your birthday celebration this evening yes. for Emily. And uh, wish her happy birthday for me. All righty. You too. Take care.